to record a meeting. Okay, well, hi everybody. Uh, welcome to the new installment of uh, Cyberpunk Now. It's my real honor and a pleasure to welcome Pavel Luktak, very special and distinguished guest. Um, I will let Pavel introduce himself in a minute, but uh, just as a way of introduction, uh, I met Pavel at the Hacker Congress in Prague, which is a very, very special conference uh, organized by the Paralanipolis Institute. Uh, and as one of my favorite conferences of all, not just crypto conferences, uh, Pavel is an international man of mystery, uh, pen tester, crypto anarchist, uh, creator, nomad, and uh, all around amazing guy. And so, uh, Pavel, uh, why don't you, why don't you um, introduce yourself a little bit and tell us how you got to be the way you are? Did you start out this way as a little kid or what made you a crypto anarchist? Yeah, okay. So, uh, thanks a lot for being here. Uh, thanks a lot of short introduction. Uh, so I think I think every, everything I did in my life are just consequences of, I would like to say something like a hacker hacker's mindset. So that was the reason why when I was uh, 18 years old, um, I start. I started to be like a computer hacker, and in that time, I worked for like a one IT security corporation. When I was about 26, 27 years old, I started my own business. So I started my own uh, IT security company, and in few years after, I started another security company. So basically, uh, basically, ethical hacking or IT security uh, became my. Uh, main income and my, my core business and maybe six years or seven years ago uh with my friends we started the project uh we i became the member of the czech artistic group uh which is called stahoven and uh we did multiple inter interesting uh controversial pro uh, project in the czech republic but six like years the ago nuclear explosion right like exactly the nuclear explosion. it was I mean, it was the Tell, the first project. Just, just tell us about that. That, that is uh, for, yeah. that's not very <laughs> well known outside of Czech Republic, but th that was a pretty big fuck you. So what yeah, was it was it was the first project of Stahoven. At that time, I I wasn't a member of, of Stahoven, but I can describe this project very shortly. Uh, so it was the uh, it was maybe even more than ten years ago uh, when. For the first time, we started to, to realize um, media manipulation. And we wanted to, to do some projects uh, which will reflect or which will uh, show that media manipulation is a serious problem, serious threat in our society. And we should, uh, so we, what we did, um, we basically hacked, but a hack is a very, uh, like a strong word for that, but we basically hacked Czech TV and we, uh, this hack basically means that we replace the TV cable and instead of weather forecast, uh, I think it was like a check TV number one or number two, it doesn't matter. We uh, posted or we, we uh, sent completely new input, which was uh, explosion of nuclear bomb. And at that time, like, a, <laughs> yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. It caused a huge uproar. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this was the problem because, like, a hundred, hundreds thousand of, especially Czech, like, a, like retard people, they started to think that I don't know, like, maybe the third <laughs> world war is becoming, or what does it mean? So, um, uh, 
so, so, so what we so the, the the art what we do is called media sculpture. So basically, we we do something in a in a public environment, uh, some project like for example this nuclear explosion, and we led to media to continue in this artistic project by the reaction, for example. And that was exactly also this situation. So so we just waited uh, for media to react. And uh, because at that time, uh, Stohoven didn't have any technical hackers like us, like for example, me, uh, they were arrested for this project because there was a, uh, I could say like, a bit stupid. They uh, they took their like cell phones with them. So uh, thanks to this uh, to the to their cell phones, it was possible to de-anonymize or or, fi- or to reveal their exact position. And so unfortunately, because of this project, I mean, probably ten people were arrested and were uh, and were sued. And there was like a penalty. I think it was two hundred check. 200,000 Czech crowns uh, we had to pay. But fortunately, we got another 250,000 Czech crowns for, from the Czech National uh, Gallery for the one of the best artistic projects in, <laughs> in the Czech Republic. So the one state institution basically paid another state institution and, and everything was fine. <laughs> Yeah, but well, that was a nice start. That was a nice start to uh, crypto anarchy, to uh, media arts, to alternative spaces, right? So, where did it go afterwards? Yeah, and maybe six years ago or seven years ago, uh, like it was more probably seven years ago, me and my good friend Yura Bednar, we became the band members of Stohoven because till now, mem- all members of Stohoven uh, were just some artists. I mean, the people involved in art, but with no very deep technical knowledge. And maybe seven years ago, it was changed because me and my friends, we are like hackers. We are like technical guys, technical geeks. And thanks to our influence, we start uh, started to to do like a more unique project. One of the projects, the first project we did together, it was called Modal Reform. We basically, uh, we basically uh, took all mobile phones of all Czech politicians, including prime minister and Czech president at that time. And we use a special technique, which is called color ID spoofing. So basically we, 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 we were able to send any message uh, from any number of any politician to any other politician. And what we did, we wrote drama. Uh, we split this drama to 800, 800 different SMS text messages. And we send these SMS text messages across different politicians, including Czech president, including Czech prime minister. And did I respond? Yeah, and it was, yeah, of course. Uh, and this was, uh, and we did this project uh, when was the, the uh, there was like a defense speech of Czech, Czech politician Rad. I'm not sure you know the guy, Rad. Yeah, Rad, yeah, he's now in jail. Uh, he's in jail and he was uh, accused for corruption or something like that. And yeah. seven years ago, he had a like a defense speech in the Czech TV. It was like a live live video stream. And during this time, we basically launched this project and we started to send like a hundreds and hundreds of SMS text message between these politicians. And they were, they were really shocked because uh, uh, they 
they didn't have any clue what is happening because they 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 started to receive messages <laughs> from their colleagues, you know, from president, from anyone. And, and so, and the, well, the, thank the, God you did this in Czech Republic because if you did this here in the United States to every single member of Congress, you would now be serving 30 years in federal jail. Like you would not get away with that. Thank thank uh, God. Probably yes. Uh, also, like a, a second project we did was uh, basically we changed uh, a Czech president uh, standard flag with a, a red uh, <laughs> red pants, and uh, so basically we 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 climbed to the Czech president castle, and this won't be also like a possible in in the US. I, I think that we we would be shot immediately if we, if we wanted. Yeah. You wouldn't this. even get near the White House, yeah. You, you yeah. shot in the, in the you'll be shot immediately when we want to get to the White House, yeah. So, so yeah. So, I, what I can say is that Czech Republic is probably quite liberal country where we can do this crazy uh, artistic project. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, the, especially the nuclear explosion and the red pens, they're, they're pretty well known back uh, back home. Uh, so how did this morph into, um, you know, tell us about Paralony Polis, right? Yeah, okay. Basically, I, I've, you know, I've been a few times for those readers that, you know, listeners that might not know, it's it's an alternative space. It's basically a gigantic club. It's a whole building, has a cafe at the bottom, has a co-working space at the top. And once a year, it hosts a huge hacker congress. So uh, it's an awesome space and you can't pay with normal money. So how did it all be uh, come to be, Pavel? Okay, maybe maybe I should start with the history of Paralympolis because yeah. this is a really interesting story. So why Paralympolis? This is the question. Um, so the history um, uh, the history started in uh, probably in 1977 or 1978 during the era which is called normalization. It was the era of uh, Czechoslovakia uh, when uh, we, we used to call it like a normalization, what basically means that uh, system uh, like regime was very strict. Uh, there was a lot of like a Eštebe agents, which is like a Czechoslovakian version of KGB, uh, which means that nobody trusted nobody uh, and it was impossible to uh, change the system, to make revolution, to make demonstration, to do anything. And in that time, uh, there was like a dissident movement organization. Uh, the name of this organization is Charta 77, or probably Chart 77, I don't know like the English translation. But And one of the leaders of this uh, uh, political movement or dissident movement was Václav Havel. And uh, together with Václav Havel, there was another guy also dissident, and his name was Václav Benda. And Václav Benda was, uh, was a mathematician, and he had really a very good abstract like a mind. And he was thinking, okay, so we have to live in Czechoslovakia. Borders are closed. We cannot move. We cannot escape from, the, uh, from Czechoslovakia. So how to survive in this uh, like a limited space, basically? And uh, he wrote like pretty unique document, which is which, uh, which is called Paralni Polis Manifesto. Uh, Paralni is from Czech language, mean parallel. Polis is from Greek language and means city. So basically, it means parallel city. And in this in this manifesto, he described that uh, despite the fact that we have to live uh, in like a communistic regime, we can still create 
alternative pearl system with the pearl alternative culture, alternative uh, free markets, for example. He was even thinking uh, alternative education, and he was even thinking about alternative uh, like legal system. And he also and he also uh, said that uh, like a like a free system is only the system which is able to, to tolerate the existence of the parallel system of parallel society. So basically, he wrote this uh, he wrote this Parallel Police Manifesto, but this manifesto uh, was used or was implemented technically by only few few families members uh, of of uh, Czech uh, Czech dissidents, but it. It was never like a global project. Okay, so this happened in the in the late seventies, the Czech Republic. Then, in the beginning of nineties, there was something what is called cypherpunk movement in uh, California, especially in San Francisco. There was people like uh, Timothy C. May who wrote uh, Crypto Anarchistic Manifesto, which is a really crucial document. The people like uh, this this happened. In, 1992, 1993. There was another With the guy. the onset of the internet, right? It was basically kind of when the internet was public at the beginning. I know that internet's even longer, but like na- early 90s was the onset. Yeah. It was beginning of 90s. Uh, like internet was not spread uh, like so much like it is now. But uh, why Why these people, uh, the reason why these people were so enthusiastic about like cryptonarchy, these were, these were, these were the first cryptonarchies of, of first cypherpunks. And these people were uh, uh, so enthusiastic just because in 1992 or 1993, uh, Phil Zimmerman wrote the first implementation of asymmetric cryptography, which is called PGP. So in, 2000, uh, in 1992, the first version of PGP was launched. So, so the crypto anarchists realized that now finally they have a technical tool for end-to-end encrypted communication. And they started to think that, okay, so now we, 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 have, a, we have a tool, we can communicate each other in a completely encrypted way. No third party, no government, no one can intercept our communication. And uh, so, so, and that's what the reason why Timothy C. May, one of the like leader of this cypherpunk movement, he wrote this crypto anarchistic manifesto, and he started to predict, for example, anonymous decentralized money like Bitcoin. You know, or in nineteen ninety two, in nineteen ninety two, like a twenty years ago, or almost twenty years ago, before we uh, we had Bitcoin. So, so. Um, and also he predicted anonymous dark markets or crypto markets, uh, like anonymous insurance, for example, and a lot of services, uh, which many of them, they, they, they already existed or they already ex- uh, exist, but uh, we, still wa- we are still waiting for the uh, implementation of many crypto anarchistic ideas from 1992. Uh, so, uh, so this was this cypherpunk movement, and then what happened in Czech Republic, especially especially in Prague, uh, in Stockholm, we realized that thanks to crypto technologies, especially thanks to Bitcoin, uh, thanks to anonymization, like for example Tor I2P, thanks to decentralization, what we can do, we can 
we can try to implement the original ideas of Václav Benda from 1978 or 1977 and try to build parallel society. So basically what we did, we grasped the ideas of Václav Benda, the first version of Parallel Police, and we used crypto technology to build the second version of Parallel Police, version two. So, so we used to call ourselves, we are not the we are probably police version two because we are just followers of Vatslo Benda uh, that combine cypherpunk's ideas from 90s with these original ideas as Vatslo Benda uh, from the late 70s. And that's that was the reason and that why Paranormal Police started to exist. Yeah, it's a really cool place for our listeners. If you ever traveling around, if you're in Prague or for Europeans who can go now, because Americans can't go to Europe and Europeans can't go to America, which is like incredible if you think about it, how the state so is fighting back. You're stuck uh, now in the US. Yeah, you cannot travel back, you know? No, no one can travel. It's like the worst predictions that people have been making about the states have now happened, right? States have now completely abolished all our freedoms to travel. They've, uh, they mandate we all wear masks. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's just like, all the dystopic predictions are now coming true. But back to Paralonipolis, it's an amazing space. Um, it has, it's basically a whole building. It's not just a small little space. It's an entire building, right? And it has a cafe at the bottom. There's a co-working space, a lecture space. And once a year for the Hacker Congress, you take over additional buildings because there's so many people coming from the whole Europe and, and overseas. Um, so... It's, it's an awesome space. And actually, I met a lot of people. I met you there. I met uh, my friend V. Dedlicka, the president of Liberland, uh, and, and a slew of other friends uh, that even so the hacker congress which you know in my opinion is one of the coolest conferences in the world uh it's a small conference it's maybe just a three or four hundred people you can only pay with crypto you don't you can't register with a name in other words it's pseudo anonymous well if you i guess we if you pay with a monero it's pretty anonymous um how did how did how did the hacker congress come like what was the idea yeah okay so so the first hacker hackers congress we organized like uh, six six years ago uh was that was basically a small small opening party and so it started like an opening party of parallel police basically and um and this year uh, is pretty unique uh at, at this time i am basically fully employed by organize uh, like organizing uh these hackers congress uh, we call it like HCBP 20 and this Congress will be focused on digital totality. Um, I can say that, that we are probably the only conference in the world where we are trying to reflect the topic of extra privacy surveillance and misuse of like this privacy surveillance uh, in digital totality, basically. So we, uh, so uh, we. So what is what is digital totality? You know, for the uninitiated, what what does that mean? Okay, what does it mean? Digital totality. Okay, so it means that uh, it's the it's basically next level of privacy surveillance. 
privacy surveillance means that uh, like governments and corporation they they uh, gather a lot of sensitive information about uh, like millions or billions of people and when this information when when this information are misused it basically means digital totality so so against the against people themselves so the like nice digital example, digital kgb basically digital communism it's it's like yeah for example with digital totality uh like like all this perfect digital totality you can see in china uh scoring system if you know the scoring system yeah yeah, each, yeah. Uh, but, but the thing is that digital totality is happening not only in these like uh, dictatorship countries but unfortunately also in western uh european or western european countries or the us for example because thanks to this covid pandemic uh governments uh, they they got a special privileges for example like for example in my country slovakia uh now slovak government uh, can access to location uh like a phone location of each citizen without court order like a without court permit which is crazy so the government uh slovak government uh can know uh position of basically location of all people and, and in real time it's not just one time it's movement yeah 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 so uh so i i think it is definitely like crazy when then something like that is happening in european in european country and um and different privacy invasions we can uh, we can see in many different countries a lot of like developed governments uh, they intervene to the privacy of of many people and uh, and and i think the situation became worse uh thanks to this covid crisis for sure and and so 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 i think this is a serious problem and we would like to this we would like to reflect uh this issue and that's why we started uh to organize hcpp focused on uh digital totality so for example now we have a many government application like we, we, we like tracking privacy tracking application uh in order to help fight covid but unfortunately information this application uh, uh gather can be can be exploited in many ways so we we so we'd like okay, to but, but but let's 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 unpack that a little bit right i mean a lot of people especially in europe if you are just a normal european or normal american you you go about your normal life you go to work well if you can still can or you work from home you have your cell phone you have your computer you have your bank accounts um you have your insurance and you have your mortgage or you have your rent for your house it you know life seems still kind of okay like you see when i tell this to people and i tell them the same thing that you tell the response is like well you're so paranoid this you know our governments are good they're only using this for the good what what's the worst that could happen right why is this bad it's not that bad Right so why is it bad why is it really that bad or why is it getting worse or where is it going in other words because it's the slammy technique right it's not like we have full on nazi dictatorship and death camps we don't and we probably won't at least for a while it's bit by bit so where is this heading 
in your opinion? Yeah, so, so firstly, I would like to explain why this situation is dangerous. The thing is that uh, we are basically building like a technical blocks uh, of, of something that can be definitely misused in the future. So we are basically building pillars of uh, like a privacy, uh, like a surveillance technology uh, that can be definite, that can be definitely misused by potentially bad government. So for example, and this is the problem. So, so now if we, if for example, if we have like a, if, if we uh, next, next election, we can have like, like Nazi party, one of the second or third most popular party in Slovakia is a Nazi party. So imagine that this Nazi party uh, will win, uh, win the elections. It's quite likely that what they do, they basically try to correlate all these government databases, all this information about all citizens in order to for example, to build the, the scoring system. So what, I try, what I'm trying to show is that what we are just doing now, I mean, the government, uh, we are building the, these blocks, like a technical blocks, uh, the huge databases for uh, all people uh, of financial transactions, the huge database, databases of KYC, AML, uh, verified people, uh, huge databases of uh, exact location in real time of all, all people uh, of each transaction. For example, in Czech Republic, you have uh, you have system which is called EET, which basically means that uh, in Slovakia we have something similar. It's called ICASA, and it means that when you visit the pub and you order the or you, you order one beer and you pay by cash, not by credit, by cash. This information is immediately sent to Czech or Slovak uh, tax office, so they know exactly that some customer. Immediately, the, the point is in real time. So as real you time. are cashed yeah. in real time, every pencil I'm holding a pencil, every pencil, every beer, every everything as you buy it in real time is transmitted to the finance ministry in yeah. real time. And and if you pay by card, who bought it as well? Right. Yep. Yeah. So, so the thing is, so the thing is that now we already have this technology. So, so now it's only question of the good or bad government. So, if we, if if we um, choose uh, the the bad government next elections, we have already existing technologies that can be massively misused. You know, you know. So, so, uh, and this is bad. So, so I think that. Uh, we, we should immediately stop to 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 gather and to collect so much information, so much sensitive information in a massive scale. But unfortunately, this is happening. You know, like I know, are... I know. And, and you know, how do we stop this, right? I mean, realistically, you and I are not going to stop a European-wide mass surveillance and European-wide collection of everything on everybody. It's you know, I always tell people the Stasi could only dream of having some of this. This is, this is far better, far more total, uh, far more invasive than the Stasi ever, the, the Eastern Germans uh, secret police. That was one of the you know most ruthless secret police 
in the world, probably even more ruthless than KGB. We have built a system that's far more invasive than the Stasi or KGB ever did. It's maybe, pretty incredible. Yeah, maybe I should mention one analogy uh, which happened in the beginning of 30s uh, in some uh, Western European countries uh, before the uh, before the Nazi Empire, uh, and it was census, you know, the collecting of uh, um, counting uh, counting of population, yeah. and um, in the beginning of thirties, uh, this happened in uh, many Western European countries, and a lot of people they provided like a like a. Uh, real Name, information address. address and also yeah. and also like a like some kind of nationality or uh or race you know so so and of course like a hundred thousand people uh they 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 wrote to this uh, census form their jews and it was question only a few years when hitler just got all these list of census from these western european countries and he and basically he knew exactly uh, where all all these Jews uh, uh, lived, and they can easily what and then he only um, and he already done it. He basically sent all these Jews to concentration camps, thanks to census, which was done as an innocent thing, you know, in the beginning of uh, in the beginning of thirties. Yeah. So 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 even now we have really bad experiences of misuse of like a massively uh, built databases of citizen and now it's like a now we have like a hundreds or maybe thousands of these uh, data like a massive databases that can be exploited so 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 what i recommend you you're completely right uh, we cannot change the system now but what we can do uh, we can try to protect ourselves in an individual way so, for example, now we are using Jitsi, which means that our communication it now it's end-to-end encrypted. No third party, no one can see, no one can see, or no one can intercept our communication. And also, um, well, we're we're recording it. Eventually, you know, we're going to make yeah, this yeah. public. So, so we're <laughs> voluntarily making this public. Yeah, yeah. But what I want to say is that, fortunately, now we have a lot of privacy tools. We can start to use now. It's pretty easy to use these tools, and these tools significantly improve privacy of many people. So instead of, for example, traditional banking transaction, we should switch to cryptocurrencies or truly anonymous cryptocurrencies, um, and we basically skip all these KYC AML process, uh, which collect uh, a lot of. Sensitive information. I know, uh -huh. I know, but it's easier said than done, Pavel, and you know that, right? I mean, we're both cryptocurrency enthusiasts, but as you are aware, in the past few years, the authorities all around the world have started clamping down massively uh, on cryptocurrencies, right? For and they don't even have to make it illegal, right? The the point is, if you regulate the on ramp. On rent and off ramp. In other words, how do you get Bitcoin? How do you get Monero? How do you get anything else? Mm -hmm. Right? Unless you buy it from a friend for cash, or unless you go to the ATM in Parlanipolis, you gotta go through those exchanges, and that's where the government has you. Right? It's. Uh, I think the system. It's like the Empire strikes back in Star Wars, and the Empire is definitely striking back against cryptocurrencies. Um, 
I, in my opinion, I can foresee a future in five or 10 years, both the EU and the United States will require registration of all cryptocurrencies. In other words, just possession, possession, not buying it or selling it, just holding it uh, without registering your keys with the government will be an offense, will be a criminal act. Do you think that such a dark future will happen? Unfortunately, I'm afraid that what you said probably may happen. But uh, on the other hand, I would like to say that uh, even now there are a lot of ways how you can uh, how you can bypass of all these government regulations. So, for example, I'm a big fan of decentralized crypto exchanges. So instead of the uh, like the centralized regulated crypto exchanges, I switch to Bisca. Uh, yeah. which is only which is only one so of these describe, describe to people bisc you know what is that you know like what is a decentralized exchange first of okay, all okay so so maybe so i'll describe i'll describe the normal exchange okay normal exchange is some company that has server and you have to send them ids and then you give them money and they give you bitcoin that's a centralized exchange and if the government comes they have to give them all the details that's a centralized exchange so pavel describe to us what is a decentralized exchange Decentralized exchange basically means there is no one uh, specific company behind this uh, behind this exchange. The uh, the protocol itself is completely decentralized. It's anonymous anonymized using Tor, for example, and still it's safe to use because it it, it basically uses like a, a Bitcoin multi-sig transactions. So uh, thanks to this, it is possible to achieve something what is called like an escrow service. So basically, it's pretty safe to make transaction, even with a completely anonymous entity or like a person. Uh, and I use it daily, and I'm pretty satisfied. And it's just one of many projects. Maybe I should also mention another project, which is called Incognito. Incognito is another decentralized crypto exchange. But this is only like a one technological project. Uh, how to say uh, reaction or like reaction tools we can use when the government try to uh, uh, regulate and enforce the regulations. But for example, maybe you know that uh, me and also many of my friends uh, we decided to to uh, revoke our residencies in the European Union. So for example, now I'm I'm Panamanian resident. Yeah, so, so, uh, so let's unpack that, right? It's That's a yeah. crazy topic. Remember, for normal people, that's a pretty yeah. crazy topic. Yeah. You and I, that's okay. pretty, you know. But okay. what does that mean? What do you mean that you revoked your residency? Okay, so so the thing is that uh, like each person has citizenship. Basically, your passport is proof of citizenship. If you are like a U.S. citizen, for example... It also means that you're like a tax slave. So, so, you, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tax slave. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm a U.S. citizen. So I, I mean, I'm a tax I, I mean, I mean, I mean, if you are, if you are not a U.S. resident, but uh, if you are a U.S. citizen and you travel to Czech Republic, for example, and you live in Czech Republic 20 or, or 30 years, basically you still have an obligation to declare all your income uh, to uh, IRS. Uh, U.S. like a tax system, and uh, and you and this obligation is associated with your citizenship, for example. But for example, if you're a Czech citizen or Slovak citizen, 
uh, and you move to any other country out of the Czech Republic or Slovakia, uh, you automatically start to tax all your income in the given country. So basically, you have no tax obligation towards uh, the Czechs, Czech Republic or Slovakia. Yeah, like U.S. citizen citizen have. Okay, so this is a citizenship. Then you have residency, and you have, and we, we should dis distinguish between permanent residency and tax residency. Permanent residency is basically uh, the place where you should live. Like for example, my permanent residency in Panama. Now I'm in the process of asking my permanent residency in Paraguay, so I will have two permanent residency: one in Paraguay, another one in Panama. Which one do you prefer? Uh, Which one's nicer? Is Paraguay like, nicer? Or? I have never visited Paraguay yet, but I visited Panama many, many, many times. Uh, but unfortunately, Para, uh, Panama is under a, a strict lockdown. So it's there are no flights to Panama. It's not possible to fly there. Uh, Even so, if you're resident? Even if you're a resident? There are no flights. I think now there are no flights. You cannot fly wow. if there are no flights. Uh, so I can travel it. So I can, uh, I can travel. Uh, I can visit uh, I can visit Panama through Costa Rica, so I can fly probably to the capital of uh, Costa Rica and then take a bus or or something to, to 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 Panama. Probably this is possible, but now you know in Panama they have a lockdown, they have a strict lockdown since April, so it's really crazy. Now they have a huge demonstration against uh, against this lockdown restriction. Anyway, so so so. Um, your national ID, in the US you don't have national ID, but most countries, they have national IDs. So national ID is a proof of your permanent residency. In, um, in the US probably the proof of your permanent residency is your social security number, I guess. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a little more, no, it's not actually, because foreigners can have social. Um, it's, the US also distinguishes between residency and citizenship, right? Uh, you can be a resident, but not a citizen. Uh, the, basically, the only proof of your citizenship is either a birth certificate, uh, not even your driver's license. That's not a proof mm -hmm. of citizenship or a, a passport. Passport or birth certificate. Yeah. Those two things, and only do those two things, are basically proofs of uh, citizenship. And it also you know, g gets a little more interesting because in the U.S., you have citizenship uh, and you have federal and state citizenship because when the country was created 250 years ago or whatever, a lot of people are citizens of the individual states. And there's a movement here in the United States where people have their passports changed, where their citizenship doesn't say United States, like I'm a citizen of South Dakota or I'm a citizen of Wyoming. So people have Wyoming citizenship. Mm -hmm. Or or, or or personhood or statehood or so it's 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 a lot of fun. There's a lot of activity on, you know, identity, uh, personality, and residency here in the states, but very different from the European system. So what is what is the proof of your uh, residency in the US? Like a real driving license? Green card. Green card. Green, no, Green card. driver's license is proof of nothing. Yeah, driver's okay. license is proof of absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been, uh, you know, tightening up the laws. You know, if, it's so hilarious. The state here, this, well, there's 50 states. The states fuck up so bad on their own systems. There's two types of driver's licenses now. A shitty driver's license 
and a good li driver license. <laughs> they call it like, oh, it's so funny. They call it real ID. Uh, and it's basically because the shitty driver's license doesn't show that you're a citizen. It doesn't show anything. It can be issued to anybody. So the federal government pushed, the big government pushed all the little governments, all the 50 little governments to start issuing good uh, driver's licenses where you have to check that someone is a citizen. So, of course, when you have these two systems rip, multiplied by 50, it's complete chaos, complete and absolute chaos, where the uh, states started issuing the good driver's licenses without checking citizenship. It, it, like the states, the little states fucked up and started issuing the good ones to non-citizens and complete chaos ensued. And then like, like you now from next year you can only fly you know like you know because most americans don't have passports so they have driver's licenses so when you fly domestic you fly on a driver's license so the the thing is you're not supposed to fly on the shitty driver's license anymore because it doesn't show anything <laughs> prove anything so the government's like oh you can only fly on the good one but no one has them and the state's fucked up in issuing them so the federal government's like oh well okay i guess another you can still fly on the shitty driver's licenses and this goes on and on and on and it's just never ending right it's it's quite something it's it's unbelievable how the systems are incapable of providing the most basic thing which is who are you mm -hmm. do you have the right to live here and are you a citizen? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so, but my original idea was just to show uh, the main difference between uh, citizenship and residency is that citizenship basically provides you privileges. Okay, except of the US citizenship, but citizenship of most countries, because you're a tax slave, but citizenship of most countries provides you privileges. So for example, if you're a citizen of the Czech Republic, it basically means you have Czech passport, and thanks to this Czech passport, you can easily travel to most countries of the world, which is great. Uh, but if you have Czech residency, it means a lot of duties. And you, of course, a lot of duties means, so for example, you have to pay mandatory health care insurance, mandatory social, social uh, insurance. In Slovakia, it means like a mandatory military service, for example, in case of like some military conflict or something like that. Uh, so, so it means like residency basically means only a lot of duties. So, uh, so the goal is to have as many passports as possible, as many citizenship, as many possible as possible driving licenses. And because the driving license also pro like provides you just privilege like it's not duty at all and no residencies or if you should have residency it should be in a territorial taxation country like Panama or Paraguay or some normal country and that's the goal and this theory is is the part of the flag theory maybe I can introduce you what does it mean flag theory it means that uh, basically you you have citizenship of one country you have residency of the second country, uh, you have the company in the third country, you have a bank account in the fourth country, uh, you have the customer in the fifth country, and you live in the sixth country. And each country, each country you choose in a totally 
opportunistic way, like the best yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah. Just, just for the listeners, just a note of caution for our fellow American <laughs> listeners like me, do not try this at home. <laughs> as, as Pavel said, if you're American, you're fucked. You can't run away. None of this will work. Okay, so listeners at home that are in the United States, do not try this. Maybe I should say that this year there is the highest amount of U.S. citizen uh, who decided to renounce their citizenship. Yeah, you know? they even raised the prices. Did you hear about that? The United States raised the prices. It used to be like five hundred bucks to give up your citizenship. Now it's like three grand, oh. and they're thinking about raising it even further. And you can only pay with cash. You have to go with three grand cash to the embassy. Cash, like physical, you know, hundred dollar bills. It's it's really funny. And uh, there's this book. It's also from 1992, The Sovereign Individual. You ever read it? It's 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 amazing. And it no, talks about I, this. Yeah. No, but I, for example, uh, I'm I know some like uh, ex-American stateless people. Uh, so this community is still not so big. But what is interesting, all these people they know each other. So for example, I had one good friend. His is quite famous. His name is Mike Gulski. Is ex-American who left uh, the U.S. maybe 15 or 20 years ago. He decided to renounce, uh, to give up his citizenship. And and uh, I was in Guatemala maybe six months ago, and I met another guy uh, who is also ex-American, like a stateless person. And of course, all these people they <laughs> they know each other, you know. Oh, I can imagine, yeah. So so this community of uh, people is relative. But the thing is that uh, as I know. Even if you decide to give up your citizenship, U.S. citizenship now, you still have an obligation to declare your uh, taxes Assets. for another 10 years, as I know. Well, so, oh. so first of all, again, we're talking about sensitive, dangerous things here. So for American listeners, really, this does not constitute legal advice or tax advice. OK, I, uh, repeating yeah. no tax advice, no legal advice. <laughs> uh, yeah. However, if you are if you take the extreme step of renouncing your citizenship, uh, which, you know, I'm not planning to. I, I, I like I, you know, despite what people say in Europe, I, there's certain parts of America that are really nice. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of nice things about American culture that I really do like. But that's another another discussion. If you do renounce it, you have to do one final tax return. And if your assets are over two million dollars, you have to pay, I think, a 10 to 20 percent exit tax on your assets, not on your income, but on your assets, uh, which is pretty steep. If you think about it, it's that that's a passive tax. Uh, so yeah, they'll make you pay. If you try to escape this, you will be paying through the roof. Um, so it's 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 an interesting um, interesting option. Uh, yeah, the rec record number of renunciations is going on. Yeah, it is like it's when you look at a chart, it's like almost nothing at, in 2010, and it just like balloons up, and it, it will keep going up and up and up. Uh, I'm now, right now, in, in the United States, uh, recording this from, from the East Coast. And uh, a lot of people are totally pissed off about the reaction of the government. A lot of people here think that the country is going to the dogs. In other words, uh, translated to simple English, that everything's going to shit. Uh, because uh, the pandemic is completely uncontrolled here. Uh, basically, we're in the midst of a cultural revolution here in the United States. 
and maybe soon enough on an actual revolution, you know, actual kind of a smoldering cultural civil war and then soon enough maybe a real civil war. Uh, so it's real interesting what's happening here. But, uh, you know, your, your, your residency, uh, and so you now resident in Panama. Uh, I, I remember your talk, you talked about getting phones from all around the world, uh, passports, not having any bank accounts. Do you still live up to that standard? You still have no bank accounts, Pavel? Yeah, so, so like as a physical person, uh, I don't have my personal bank account, but I have multiple companies and these companies, they have bank accounts because sure. uh, at least... But you, our, have, you have no bank account. I don't you have don't bank have account. I don't have, I don't have like, a, like a typical bank account because... I don't need it. Fortunately, there are a lot of ways. Uh, we call it like a SEPA gateways, which are basically uh, special portals where you can uh, pay anything in crypto and they behind you, they generate like a SEPA payment. So you can easily pay bills, for example, in anywhere in Europe or even in, in, in other countries. So uh, the thing is that every year, Despite the regulation and despite enforced KYC AML and the new version of AML, we every year we have more and more uh, unique ways or unique tools uh, how to leave comp completely from crypto. So what I can say every year it's more easy for me than it was like like the year before. So uh, that's yeah, awesome. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's it's uh, it's worth doing. It takes a little bit of practice, not for the faint of heart. Still, it's still not very mainstream. You know, we, we could say this is not a mainstream lifestyle yet, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it could be. It could be. You know, five or ten years, uh, this kind of life could be could be quite um, common. Okay. Well, I know that you are a very busy man. I, I really appreciate uh, you taking this hour to speak with us. Um, so as we wrap up, um, I have two last questions. Where do you think we're heading as a society? As let's, and let's define a Euro-American society. So the, the, the advanced industrial world. And who do you think we should have next on the podcast? Ah, okay. So... Uh, the thing is that many people think that we are basically uh, going to some kind of dictatorship. Uh, some people think that we are going to anarchy. Um, the thing is that the, the world is really complex, and we are we are basically going to uh, to dictatorship and uh, to some kind of anarchy at the same time. I'm going to explain. So, for example, uh, uh, I mean that it, it's pretty likely that, uh, like, the, we should expect like a more strict regulation enforced by almost all governments, especially in a, in a crypto technologies. Uh, so, for example, what you said um, in the beginning that uh, you should you 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 will need to register all your crypto possession. Yeah, unfortunately, I expect something like that. Uh, but on the on the other hand, like now we have extremely or and not we have and we, but we will have extremely powerful technologies that can help us to liberate ourselves. So uh, so for example, maybe I should mention that I'm writing the book, and the book should be available until the end of the the year. The name of the book is 
my crypto liberation story, uh, how uh, how to achieve both personal and economic freedom by being global and flexible. So the thing is that if you if you're willing to be global, if you're willing to be flexible, if you're willing to grasp new technologies, new bleeding edge technologies, even in this dictatorship uh, regime or upcoming dictatorship regime, I believe you can have more freedom like you have never had before. So, so it's that's so, that's that's quite counterintuitive, right? Even though everywhere around yeah. this dictatorship, so, so the, you can so, make so, a little so, freedom. So, yeah, yeah. So the thing is, from from the collective perspective, from the society perspective, we are go going to dictatorship regimes, basically. That's what I. But, 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 at the same time, we are we are having, or we we uh, we should expect a lot of new crypto liberation tools, like cryptocurrencies, or uh, for example, DAO, like a decentralized autonomous organization, uh, which can offer us completely new freedom on a personal level you know so what i think that thanks to the technology uh our freedom of like personal freedom will thrive because for example we can protect our communication we can use like a dark market crypto markets and anything but on the collective uh like a society level we are basically losing our freedom so does it make sense yeah 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 there's you can take specific steps technologically empowered steps to gain more freedom more liberty and more privacy for example even though, yeah. yeah even though as a society is becoming less free nice example is bitcoin i think you should you should admit that bitcoin is a huge global liberation tool or cryptocurrencies you know Thanks to thanks to so so we don't need to maybe you don't need to care about these like a strict regulations of bank like a banking system banks because more and more people are starting to use cryptocurrencies making the traditional banking system obsolete so 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 for example Bitcoin or cryptocurrency is a nice example of vibration tool which liberates us at a personal level and and we should definitely expect more such tools like bitcoin so so i believe in this like a crypto liberation <laughs> this is we, we have just started that's fantastic and so let's end on this positive note pavel thank you very much for your time our guest today has been pavel luktak and uh, we very much look forward to have you on the podcast again thank you very much have a great day okay thanks a lot for invitation bye bye Bye.